0: So we were at the end of the third chapter where we'll just talk a little bit about that and then take a synoptic view of the third chapter and we'll throw it open for discussion. So if you have questions, uh, comments, you can keep writing it in the chat or raise your hands. We'll have time for discussion today. So in this, uh, at the end of the third chapter, we see Krishna is telling Arjuna how to overcome the problem of karma, uh, desire. Because uh, desire is the s- uh, central problem in spiritual life. Arjuna had asked Krishna, why is it that people, even when they want to be good, when we want to be good, we have made up our minds, but we still end up doing things which we regret later. Um, unwillingly, he says, Even though we are not willing, people are not willing to... Or they do not want to do anything wrong they end up doing things which they uh, which people regret regret why is that what what forces them to do this um, so he answers that Kama esha krodha it is desire and anger karma krodha desire and anger which is manifested as raga dvesha raga means uh, uh, attraction or wanting this, grasping at something, I want this, I want, that's raga. And Dwesha means repulsion, I don't like this, I want to avoid this, I, I, I detest this in my life. Um, one might ask what's wrong with that, nothing spe- specifically wrong but we think by pursuing that we will attain fulfilment, we will not. We have not been able to attain fulfilment in that way by pursuing our desires. So, Krishna says, this is the problem in life and especially in spiritual life. Whether we want to meditate and our minds are disturbed. Why? Because they are polluted by karma and krodha, desire and uh, anger. In the mind forms also, just a sense of lack of fulfillment. That's also desire basically, a lack of fulfillment. Uh, a lack of annoyance uh, or a little bit of annoyance and irritation. That's enough to throw you off your meditation. So I am unable to meditate. Um, I want to love God. But I don't feel that love. Why not? What's wrong? I want to be a Bhakta, I want to be a devotee. I don't really genuinely feel any love for God. The reason is that love, that, that power is flowing into the world. Into worldly relationships, into desire for objects and attainments in the world. Raga, it's flowing through that. I want to do karma yoga, I want to serve unselfishly, I want to do good to humanity. Uh, That would be great, but selfishness creeps in into everything that we uh, think and do. Why? Because of the same problem, karma. Karma and krodha, desire and anger. So we see, um, or in the path of knowledge, I am convinced that I am not the body and mind, and I, I am the witness consciousness, I am the Atman. But it's very difficult to see myself like that and it seems to be some kind of clever idea, but not really real. Why not? It's because we are tied to this body and the desires uh, associated with this particular body-mind, karma and krodha. So you see, whether it is karma yoga, raja yoga, bhakti yoga or jnana yoga, in each case, it is this desire, karma, uh, and associated krodha, which is the obstacle. So, um, and Krishna as you saw, uh, he goes on to tell Arjuna how to deal with karma. Krodha, he does not deal with directly because um, we all saw that Krodha, anger, is an evolute of karma. It's when desire is frustrated, it gets transmuted into uh, anger or irritation. So, if you take care of desire, if you solve that problem, the problem of anger is also solved. Um, you know it's one interesting thing that we noted early on in in monastic life that many of the monks we saw were pretty angry people and uh, first of all why is that so they should be more calm than other people but they seem to be more irritable or uh, uh, you know like angry or annoyed uh, compared to most other people some and if you think about it it's natural Uh, when one enters into monastic life, one is put under a rigid uh, system of discipline. So, it's basically an idealistic life. I want to be like that, but I'm not there yet. So, when I want to be like that, and I'm trying to transform myself uh, and push myself, you know, push my, the realities of my life up to the ideal, I'm already denying many desires. I'm putting a stop to that, controlling it. And in most cases, at the beginning at least, that frustrated desire immediately becomes anger. So, um, in some ways, you know, it it, is almost natural that anybody who starts out on a sadhana, path of sadhana, if he or she is not careful, may turn out to be more angry than usual. I am not recommending it. It is just sort of a kind of side effect which one should watch out for. Especially if one strains too much. Um, If, You don't take it in baby steps if one wants to become a yogi in one big jump then you will find in day-to-day life that person is under strain uh, is easily upset um, prone to outbursts Uh, it's because one is pushing uh, harder than one should one it's uh, going beyond one's limits I always used to tell the trainee monks that um, try hard but don't push to the, to the extent where your health, physical and mental, breaks down. Then there is nobody to help you. You are here for sadhana, you are here for the long run, you are here for a marathon run. So, in, marathon runners never, never uh, sprint. They know that they have to uh, preserve their energy and their stamina for uh, the long run. So, spiritual life is, you are he- here for the long haul, for the whole life. So, it will be decades and decades of uh, consistent, systematic effort. Not one intense burst of effort and you become enlightened or jivanmukta. That usually leads to disaster. All right. So what has he said? Uh, in the f- he, he said in verse number 40 that uh, the basis of karma, where is desired to be found? Indriyani Mano Buddhi Asya Adhisthana Mutyate. In the sensory system karma that's the base of karma, where karma operates. In the mind and in the intellect. Mind is the faculty of the inner faculty which considers pros and cons. Sankalpa, Vikalpa, Atmakam, Manaha. This or that. Data is pulled in and the mind collates all the data. Desires bubble up, uh, likes and dislikes bubble up. That state is called the mind. Then buddhi, subtler than that, inner to that is the buddhi, the intellect which takes determination, which takes a decision, nishcaya buddhi, the, the faculty of, of uh, determination. The de- determination here means um, the uh, deciding, the power of deciding. I want this, this is good, I will do this, uh, or I will not do this. So this is buddhi. And karma operates at every level. So if you want to deal with karma, with desire, you will have to watch out at every level. And then Krishna says, Begin with the outermost. In 41, verse number 41. Tasmat tvam indriyanyadu niyamya Bharatarshava. Start with the sensory system. Uh, Disciplined senses. Then he gives a model. Verse number 42. We have done this last time. Indriyanyi paranyaho parammana manasastu parabuddhi buddhe paratastu sa. The model is this. Uh, the sensory system the sense objects are of course the outermost then the sensory system then comes the mind then comes the intellect and then innermost is the self the atman Uh, this verse is based on a model taken from the Katha Upanishad in the Katha Upanishad so here Krishna is almost verbatim quoting the Katha Upanishad slightly modified version of the Katha Upanishad verses there um, a, a, a wonderful model of the body-mind, human system, body-mind system is given. It is compared to a chariot in the Katha Upanishad. So the horses are the senses. So the chariot has five horses. The horses are the sense organs. And they are running on, what's the track they are running on? That's the sense objects. The eyes to see form, ears to hear sound and nose for smell, the tongue for taste and the skin for touch. and what is, uh, what is the reins by which the horses are controlled? That's the mind. So the mind is the instrument by which the horses are controlled. Who controls who is, who is driving the chariot? It's the uh, buddhi, the intellect. The intellect has got the reins in his hand and he's dri- guiding the sense, uh, sense organs in this journey of life. And who is the passenger? Uh, the passenger who's sitting unconcerned uh, in the chariot is the self, the atman. So, it's a journey from the self to the self. The self is going to realize itself. That's the whole journey. It's not going from one place to another. And then the Upanishad goes on to say that spiritual discipline at each of the three levels sensory level, horses, the reins, the mental level, and the the charioteer, the buddhi, the intellectual level. So, spirituality, our discipline, our sadhana will be at three levels. At the level of the horses, is the control of the senses. Uh, What I shall see, what I shall not see, what I will hear, what I will not hear. Also the karma indriya, the uh, uh, organs of action, what should I say, what should I not say, What uh, control of speech. Uh, So, all of the sense organs, five sense organs, the five organs of action, they have to be controlled. Um, That is the discipline Sri Krishna mentions. Indriyani adav, in his commentary madhusudan saraswati says he is just taking the indriya sensory system as a marker as a marker to indicate not only the sensory system but also the mind and the intellect so all three levels are meant here so first the senses have to be brought under control then you go to the uh, the uh, inner instrument the mind so what is the spiritual discipline for the mind the upanishad so these details are available in the katha upanishad in the upanishad it is said Samanaska, Samanaska literally means um, mindful, nowadays literally the translation would be mindful with mind Samanaska, so nowadays it's a very very big thing in the United States mindfulness I think mm, billion dollar industry or something like that so many places Um, so mindfulness from schools to uh, hospitals from uh, the police and the prisoners and the corporate executives Uh, everywhere in the military everywhere mindfulness uh, is being taught Um, so samanaskar mindfulness concentration focus that's at the level of the mind and then third is the level of the intellect at the level of the intellect Vedanta Shravana Manana Nididhyasana to immerse the faculty of understanding in this quest of who am I what am I really to learn the truth to think about it carefully and get clarity about it and then stay with that clarity. To learn it, Shravana. To think about it and understand and get clarity, mananam. And then to stay with it, nididhyasanam, assimilate the truth. So at the three levels, the spiritual practices. Discipline of the senses, so discipline and control of the senses. Attentiveness, focus at the level of the mind and Uh, the uh, Vedantic, the clarity about who am I the intellect should stay there with this the idea is to realize who am I and uh, in the verse number 43 the last verse he says (laughs) evam buddhe param buddhva samstabhyatmana matmana (laughs) jahi shatrum maha baho kamarupam durasadam. The 43rd verse. Thus knowing that which is beyond the intellect, what is beyond the intellect? The Atman, the uh, pure consciousness, the self, witness consciousness. Thus knowing that which is beyond the intellect, controlling the mind by the intellect, kill, O mighty armed one, the enemy in the form of desire which is difficult to conquer. So realizing evam buddhe param buddhva that which is beyond the intellect. So here is giving us the technique. What is the technique? This is the uh, Vedantic technique of realizing who am I? See this chariot model in the Upanishads is based on the the paradigm of the panchakosha the physical aspect that is the body and then the vital forces prana and then the the mind the the manas then the buddhi uh, intellect and then beyond that there is a causal body which is not mentioned the anandamaya kosha beyond that the witness of all of them is the atman witness consciousness now he says in the 42nd verse indriyani paranyahu indriyebhyam param manasastu para this gives us the technique what technique are we to apply the senses are superior to their objects objects of senses you know eyes are the senses objects are forms ears are the senses objects are sound and so on the the senses the sensory system is superior to its objects superior to the sensory system is the mind superior to the mind is the intellect and superior to the intellect is the atman so this gives us a clue what does it mean superior it means um, subtler, Inward and illuminer. So, Subtler means Sukshma. Inward means Pratyak, the inner. And um, Illuminar means the witness or the one which Prakashaka. So, how does it work? All the things that we are seeing, and I will give you the step by step, the procedure of, of applying this. All that we are seeing, all the forms that you are seeing, they are objects for what? For your eyes. Eyes are the senses and all the forms are objects. And these senses are superior to the objects. How? They are the same senses remaining unchanged. So many objects come and go, I see. I see so many things throughout the day. All those things and people I see, they come and go. But the same eyes are seeing them. And... This is one. Second, suppose I ask you which is which is inner, inner you know in what sense? Um, which is closer to yourself? One way of understanding this is you see a flower and the eyes are seeing the flower. Where are you? Which do you identify with more? Do you identify with the flower which is being seen or with the eyes which are seeing the flower? You will naturally, if you see, you will feel that, yes, I am here. I am in with the eyes and I am seeing the flower through the eyes. So we identify more with the senses than with the object of the senses. So the senses are closer to us. Is this point uh, clear? How they are inner? Inner means closer to yourself. Prakashaka, illuminer. Which is aware of which? What sees what? Does the flower see you or you see the flower? You will say, I see the flower, of course. So, the senses objectify their objects. That's why they are called sense objects. The senses are the seer or hearer or smeller or taster, whatever it is. So, the senses are the ones which illumine their objects. So, sensor, sensory system is superior to the objects means it is inner, subtler than the objects. It is closer to yourself. That it, That's what it means. Uh, it is, uh, the, it is uh, also the Uh, One, the same senses see all different kinds of changing objects, the entire range of objects, whether it is sight or sound or whatever and they uh, illumine those objects, they reveal those objects. Let us go deeper. The mind is said to be superior to the senses. Now, it is by the same mind, one mind alone, where all the senses collect the data and deposit it. So eyes and ears and smell and taste and touch, so one cup of coffee you see, what when what you see the eyes are taking that information and giving it to the mind. What you smell the nose is taking that information giving it to the mind. What you taste and touch the wa- warmth of the coffee and the flavor of the coffee, all the sense organs are taking it and putting it in the mind. The mind is superior to the sense organs uh, and if you say. Uh, if you ask, with which will you identify, uh, which is closer to you if, you, if that question makes sense, is it the mind or the eyes, is it the mind or the nose, we will see instinctively we feel, I, when I consider the nose or the eyes, I used to see well, now I need glasses, I am identifying with the mind and considering the eyes, not the other way round. None of the sense objects, none of the sense organs can ever objectify the mind. But the mind objectifies the sense organs. Does this make sense? All the time, very clearly. No sense organ is aware of the mind. But the mind is aware of all sense organs. So the mind is the illuminer of the sense organs. Uh, Sakshi. (laughs) The, The way they teach it in the Himalayas, the sadhus, you know, they will say tabbi sakshi tabbi sakshi uskabi sakshi uskabi sakshi sakshi aisa hai. The witness, when you can see, I am the witness of the eyes which see well. And now one day I cannot see anymore, maybe uh, 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 blind or something has happened. Uh, and I'm the, still the witness, witness is there, eyes have stopped. I'm the witness of that. So, in the same way. Now, here the mind is the witness of the sense organs, but the mind itself, buddhi is superior to the mind, intellect is superior to the mind. How? All the information that the mind has collected, it is considered and a decision is taken by the buddhi, by the intellect. I like this, I want that and so on. And the buddhi is inner, the decision-making capacity based on the options presented by the mind, the data presented by the mind, the desires and memories dug up by the mind, the whole panorama is presented before the deciding factor, the buddhi, the intellect. And the intellect decides, intellect is superior to the mind. Intellect considers the options presented by the mind. So intellect, superior to the mind, intellect is inner to the mind. This is a very fine distinction we are making. Right now, if you think, right now, we are trying to understand, I am trying to understand what the Swami is saying. This trying to understand is the intellect. Remember, it is the same inner faculty. It has two functions. Mind is one function, intellect is another function. But intellect is a higher and superior function. The intellect tries to understand what is happening in the mind. So, the intellect is inner to the mind. Intellect is the illuminer of the mind, we can say. And when we identify mind or intellect, if I give you a choice, you will identify as the intellect, which is trying to. When you say, "When you say I'm introspecting, what is introspecting? It's the intellect looking upon the mind, considering what's going on in our minds. So the intellect is superior to the mind. But this is not the end of the process. So Vivekananda says, one more thing has to be there. Whatever is in the intellect is now has to be illumined by the self, the Atman. So the decision of the intellect. What comes? Atmika buddhi, there is something inner to the intellect, all the movements of the intellect, I understand, I do not understand, both are revealed to you. To whom? The movements of the intellect, understanding, not understanding, deciding, I, will, I want that, I do not want that, uh, I, I get it, I don't get it. These are all movements of the intellect. To whom or what illumines this, what reveals the movements of the intellect? That is consciousness. So ultimately one more thing is necessary, awareness or consciousness which is the self and that reveals the intellect, it reveals the mind, it reveals the senses and through the intellect, mind and senses reveals the entire world. So that one, that consciousness is Atman. Anything beyond that? He says nothing beyond that. In the Kathopanishad, the final ultimate reality is consciousness. So why not? I can think of something beyond consciousness which will be aware of consciousness. If it is aware of consciousness, then it must be conscious. If it is aware of anything, awareness and consciousness are synonymous. So ultimately it has to be consciousness itself. So there is nothing beyond consciousness which can illumine anything else. So our real nature is that witness consciousness which is innermost to all, uh, which is the illuminer of all, all are changing and are being revealed by that one consciousness. So that is the Atman. And that has to be realized. Realized as what? This is Sanstabhya, firmly realizing. Atmana Atmanam. By the uh, intellect, establish the mind in, in in your mind, by the intellect, establish in your mind this the, the clarity, what clarity? Aham Brahmasmi or Aham Atmasmi, whatever you call it. I am that witness consciousness or Brahman. Um, having established yourself in that, now it is very easy to deal the final blow to karma. Already remember, sense organs are under some form of discipline at least. Mind is attentive, intellect has got clarity. Now you are you are you've got the clarity aham brahmasmi Jahi shatrum mahabaho oh great warrior defeat this enemy this is the greatest enemy kama kama roopam durasadam this most difficult to comprehend the ways of desire uh, you have to defeat this this enemy called desire so a two level approach first control at the level of senses by implication control at the level of the mind also Attentive mind, Con- disciplined senses, attentive mind, clarity in buddhi, intellect, these three are required. And um, so in the language of the Upanishad, Ashwa, the horses had to have to be disciplined, Sadashwa, these are uh, the good well trained Ashwa, the horses means the, intell- the senses are disciplined. Samanaska, the mind is uh, mindful that means concentrated or focused, not flickering. And it says the buddhi has got prajna, uh, has got wisdom, Vedantic wisdom. So this is the preliminary work that we have to do. And then with this self-enquiry suggested by, the, by Sri Krishna, we realize aham brahmasmi. From this perspective, it is much easier to get rid of uh, desire, win over desire, finally overcome desire. From the perspective of the atman, what desire do we have? I am this infinite, immortal being. There is no death for me. There is no limit to my existence. What can I want? Where? What Raga for what? Dvesha, what will I despise? Everything in this universe is in me. They appear in me. I am the witness of all. I am the revealer of all. And I am all actually. Because I am not only consciousness, I am also existence. So I am the existence of all things. In that way, Raga and Dvesha diminish. And I have an equanimous vision towards everything that I experience in this universe. Um, then it is much easier to overcome desire. Desire will not disturb such a person. So this is Sri Krishna's uh, advice to Arjuna. Let's deal with some questions. Then I will quickly take an overview of Chapter Three. Shashank. Yes,
1: Swamiji. Pranam, Swamiji. I have. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah. Yes, I, have I can questions. hear two Questions? Abhijit. Uh, so, f- first is the. We have seen that the mind is Manobuti Chitta Ankara. Hmm. And so, here uh, uh, there is no reference to Chitta and Ankara. And um, so, what does the mind refer to here in this verse?
0: That's so, first. yeah. So, mind here refers to the mind, Manas to Manas. So, here in this verse, the, div- the division is sensory system, indriyani, then manas, the mind. This mind, what is this mind? This is that one in mano-buddhi-chitta-haṅkāra, the four components of the Antakarana. Mana means mind, chitta means the memory, haṅkāra means ego and buddhi means intellect. And each one has a definition. Mana is sankalpa vikalpa mana, that which considers the pros and cons, all the data it collates but also the upanishad says it's the controlling faculty it's the one which is in charge of the sensory system um, see this uh, hear that stop this all that control is like the reins of a horse then we have chitta chitta is a storehouse uh, of all impressions it's absolutely necessary for our daily pra- functioning buddhi is nischayaatmika buddhi the determinative faculty this is this this clarity i get it or i don't get it that's the functioning of the buddhi and then Um, the ahankara, ego, is Abhimana Atmikaan The one which is, in our language, in English, it would be that which appropriates. The ego is that which appropriates to itself the functioning of all things. The eyes are seeing, but I I say I am seeing. The one which says I. Memory is functioning, but we say, we don't say memory is remembering something. I remember. Uh, um, Intellect gets it. I get it. So, these are the four functions of the antakkarana, antakkarana, inner right. instrument. Um, so, here when it is, in this verse, and in the Upanishad also, they have taken only sensory system, mind, intellect, and beyond that is uh, Atma, that much only. Okay. So, they have not mentioned ego, for example, they have not mentioned the chitta, the memory. Huh. So, so yes. the second question is that, we
1: have seen that the the, the self is, existence and everything else does not exist and so how can something which exists be compared to something which does not exist where it says the Atman is superior to the mind, intellect and everything. Yes. How can an existing and non-existent quantity be, uh, be, be compared?
0: True but remember this is a technique given to us, us means we are sadhakas, we are in the practice, we are trying to get realization. To us, it seems these things all exist. Uh, Body, senses, the table, and the chair, and the people outside, they clearly seem to exist. From the perspective of the Atman, from the perspective of of, uh, existence, what happens? They are all appearances in existence. Uh, To put it in more concrete terms, in given example, you say, how suppose there there are waves in the ocean, there are many waves and there is foam and there is surf. Now what you are asking is they do not exist apart from the water. So, how can you compare the water to a wave? Yes, you can. You have to realize the water is the reality of the wave. The water is the reality of the foam, but when you experience the ocean, our immediate experience is waves and foam and surf, right? So, water is the inner reality of the ocean, the actual reality. Inner reality is a way of saying it. Actually, when you, what you are seeing is water. Once you understand what water is, you immediately see what you are seeing is water, what you touch is water, what makes you wet is not a wave or a surf, it is water alone. But it appears in all those names and forms. So, the Atman is existence itself, it appears in all these names and forms. Therefore, the inner reality is superior to the uh, outer manifestation. Even in So, for example, if I say a pot, take a pot. Now, the pot is made of clay. Clay is the inner reality. We can say clay is the existence of the pot. In one way, we can say without the clay, pot would not exist. In that sense, clay is superior. How? Clay is superior to the pot because it is inner to the pot. Here also, you will see what is meant by inner. Inner does not mean inner to a pot does not mean what has been kept inside the pot. It's not the water which is kept inside the pot. It is the inner reality of the pot. That which makes the pot a pot. What is that? Clay. Uh-huh. But the superior to the clay is the earth element, which, has, which uh, with, from which clay is made. Superior to the earth element will be the inner reality, which ultimately will go back to Maya and then back to Brahman itself. So it is the inner reality, which is superior to the outer manifestation. Okay,
1: yes. I think it is in the, in the sense of that, the illumining, which elements is, it makes more sense, this order.
0: Yes, illumines, but also inner, also the one inner. which is w- w- the one in which all they actually have not used that word, vyapaka.
1: Vyapaka,
0: pervasion. Uh, so what does it mean, pervasion? One eyes, it, in the, because of that, it pervades all forms which you see with the eyes. That is one, it is a peculiar way of speaking. I used a simpler way, with the same eyes, you see everything, with the same ears, you hear all sounds. So the senses pervade their objects, but the mind pervades all the senses. Eyes do not pervade the ears, ears do not pervade the nose, but the same mind pervades all of them. And this same intellect understands all of them, pervades all of them. But atman pervades all the intellect, manas, senses, all of them are pervaded by the atman, not only as consciousness, all experience is pervaded by the atman as consciousness. And all existence, all things are pervaded by the atman, as existence.
1: Thank you very
0: much. Yes. And the grand thing, the glory of human nature, great glory is that you are that consciousness existence. You are the inner reality of this entire universe. Not as a cool claim, as as an absolutely, if one is to understand it, it is an undeniable reality right now. It is amazing to contemplate. Yes. Yeah,
1: Swamiji, I also have two questions. In second chapter, Bhagawan says, Correct. But we have not reached that state. Huh. We have not identified the oneness with everybody. Yes. And we are just sadhak. And giving up desires and total detachment at now might lead to indifference also. And like apathy.
0: Yeah. So, two question, one question is, will it lead to indifference and apathy at this point? Uh, no, it will not. See, all desires are now focused or channeled towards God. Uh, so, if you forcefully uh, try to stop those desires, then this may happen. Uh, because the genuine desire for God or Mokshutvam for freedom has not yet arisen. At the same time, I put a stop to every worldly functioning. Then what will happen is, I will not do that, I am not allowed to, but the intense desire which makes Mirabai cry for Krishna or Ramakrishna go mad for seeing Mother Kali, that has not come to me yet. So what you are saying is sort of dullness, uh, kind of apathy will come, indifference. Uh, So you have to be careful there. Uh, There the apathy is not spiritual. It is more like, sometimes you know people are depressed, unhappy. So when people are depressed or unhappy, one sign of depression is not willing to do other things not willing to go out not willing to meet with people not even willing to sit down and see a TV program not interested in anything that's apathy and that's not a good condition and it's not a spiritual condition either (laughs) Um, that's why Swami Vivekananda said always preferred that an active life Sri Krishna we will see here uh, he tells Arjuna also that uh, uh, be active do all work Uh, There is not even one moment you can stay without uh, doing some work. So, better to do all daily works or all all activities and duties, you must perform them. Holy Mother also said that, um, she said, uh, 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 my dear daughter, work is Mother Lakshmi. Your body, mind, all will be well if you work hard. We are given certain work in our day-to-day life. Uh, Whatever is in front of us is our own Kurukshetra. We cannot deny. There is something in front of us to do. In the worst of cases also, if there is nothing and nobody, even my own body, my japa, my day-to-day routine, that also has to be maintained. Uh, So Bill is here. He is 96 years old. But I think for decades and decades, never missed evening arati. He will always come down and... Uh, attained uh, Sandhyarati. So, this kind of holding on to your uh, the work before you what you have set for yourself that itself becomes Karma Yoga. Two things you brought up the Sakshi and you say um, Sakshi in everybody one feels that uh, when, you, when we go through this process, the sense organs, the mind, the intellect, and I am the witness of all of them. Then we look around, oh, all those people are there in Zoom, I am seeing so many people, so so many bodies, so many sense organs, so many minds, so many intellects, and so many sakshis also. No. Are there thousands of sakshis? I can see 58 participants here. So, 58 pa- participants are Sakshi, So, we are all sakshis. You are watching me, I am watching you, so isn't it? We are different sakshis? No. Uh, according to Vedanta, there is only one Sakshi in all bodies and minds. In all bodies and minds, one Sakshi. Thirteen chapter Sri Krishna says Shetragyam Chapi Mam Vidhi Sarvakshetreshu Bharata. In all body mind complexes, O Arjuna, know me alone to be the one witness. The difference seems to be because of body and mind. One one light um, appearing through many holes in a big pot seems to be many rays of light coming out, but it is actually when you go inside you see there is only one light. Shankaracharya gives this example. So, there is one light, consciousness, which shines through many many uh, body mind complexes. Gita also Krishna says, avivaktam uh, vibhaktam Undivided in all beings, appearing to be divided. It seems to be many sakshis, but actually it is one. We are actually all one reality. We are all united in God. And Krishna says, I am that Sakshi in all uh, bodies and minds. So that's the idea of God in Vedanta. The one consciousness shining through all bodies and minds. That same consciousness, when it's, when we limit it, when we think it is here, shining through this body and mind, then it becomes Jiva. One consciousness shining through all bodies and minds, Shiva. Or Krishna or Narayan or Devi, whatever you call, Saguna Brahman. One consciousness only, nirguna Brahman. Why would you say one consciousness only? Why not all body mind? Because all bodies and minds are appearances; they are not ultimately real. They are not nothing apart from that that one consciousness. So then only nirguna Brahman. See, one consciousness shining through body mind, jiva. How many jivas here? And say fifty-nine. Now there are fifty-nine jivas in uh, the Zoom meeting. How many Brahman's are there? Saguna Brahman, Ishwara? one only. One only in all bodies and minds, the same consciousness. And what's the ultimate reality? Neither Jiva nor Saguna Brahman, the ultimate reality of both. Jiva Brahmaivanapara. You are Nirguna Brahman, pure consciousness, pure being, pure bliss. Satyam jnanam anantam Brahma. In infinite existence, infinite consciousness is Brahman, and that's you. That is Nirguna Brahman.
1: Okay. And secondly, Swamiji, I wanted to know what is the evolutionary function of desire. Like in the case of Jiva, the desire can be a motivating behavior as it can influence our thoughts. Like on a higher level, uh, it can lead us towards spirituality and maybe on a lower level just to satisfy our hunger.
0: True, true. Uh, that is a, a big question and a good question. Notice, our fundamental desire... First of all, to exist. Yeah. To exist. I, I want to live. To live, nobody wants to die. To live, uh, all living beings cling to life. Yeah. So this comes from our nature as Sat, pure being. Immortal being. Because we are immortal being, we don't know it. But from that, in ignorance, that manifests in our life as the clinging to life. I want to exist. And it's a wrong thing because this body will never exist forever. We will again and again be frustrated. How do you want to cling to exist? Do you want to live in ICU? um, uh, You know, like uh, unconscious, uh, what is it called? Ventilator. Like that you want to live? No, no, no. I want to be conscious. Not just live unconsciously in coma. I want to be conscious. So that awareness, I want to exist in an aware way. That is what the tremendous desire we have. And that desire comes from chit consciousness because we are, our nature is consciousness. So you will be aware and you will exist and you will live in the hospital with great pain, all right? No, no, no. I want to live and I want to be aware and I want to be happy, fulfilled. It should be a pleasant awareness, existence, awareness and nice. Then I will be, then this is what I want. That you know it comes from the Ananda nature. So our real nature is Satchidananda. And all under ignorance that manifests as these primary desires to live, to know, to enjoy. Uh, the, in Sanskrit it is the desire to live um, the desire to know jigyasa, the desire to enjoy things in the world, pubuksha hunger. So these things. At first, they propel us into action, into the world, they throw us into the world. And then we must experience the world. As you said, some amount of experience is necessary. Uh, otherwise, that interest in God realization will not come. What is this desire for God realization? You know, when all these desires, which which come from our basic desire to live, to know, to enjoy, and in a thousand-fold ways, we look around, it is, look around and now it's all closed in broadway what is there restaurants now they're all sitting on the streets outside because you're not allowed to go inside the restaurant so nicely you'll see on the streets in new york uh, there are tables and chairs and people sitting in in suits with um, forks and uh, you know napkins and dining out in style but all on the streets outside now what is that i want to eat i want to enjoy look at the shops desire clothes fancy clothes Um, the broadway theaters entertainment Uh, Existence, knowing uh, and big libraries, knowledge, museums, knowledge and enjoyment. All of this is the you see manifested in our civilization and it has given rise to this civilization. As you said desire is given by God so that we progress. But is this the end but we notice after doing all of it to to the hilt as much as you want. There is no happiness. There is no fulfillment. Then we go to the next level. We are seeking fulfillment. The same thing we are seeking. I want to live, I want to know, and I want to enjoy. Then comes spirituality. A Vedanta comes and says, "Yes, it is possible. You have tried it in the world outside, and it's a failure. Failure in the sense of your own uh, fulfillment. Not. It has given rise to our civilization and all that is going on now, good and bad. It's all prompted by desire. There, Vedanta and Freud are the same." They say that the root of all of this is desire. Karma is there at the root of all of this. See, even a biologist will take you. If you look, take a look at your lawn outside, all the flowers and the glory of nature, a good part of it is due to the reproductive desire in plants and animals. You see, all the beauty of nature. It is basically uh, nature propagating itself. But it will not lead to fulfillment. If you flow along the lines of Prakriti, prakriti will go on with its own work nature will go on with its own work but it will not lead to your fulfillment because it cannot only thing that can lead to fulfillment is infinite existence infinite knowledge and infinite consciousness uh, infinite joy where is it to be found only in your own real nature you cannot achieve it it's already there only it has to be uncovered so that's where vedanta comes in now so the sadhus put it so beautifully See, three problems, desire this uh, hunger for living, jiji visha, hunger for knowledge, particular knowledge in the world, jigyasa, hunger for uh, enjoyment, bubuksha. These three hungers propel us into the world. To reverse this and go Godward towards enlightenment, a new term is introduced, mumuksha, the, yeah, the desire for enla- for freedom or in devotional language, the desire for God, bhakti, the love of God. This will cancel and overcome these three, the first three. The desire to live in this body in the worldly sense, the desire to know things in the world only, the desire to enjoy worldly things, These are all overcome and that desire is turned towards God, Mumuksha. And that takes you towards God. When you realize God that I am Satchidananda, then that Mumuksha also goes away. At that time you can say like Shankaracharya, Na na nartho na kamo na moksha chidananda rupah shivoham shivoham Dharma kama these are worldly uh, Which will give you joy in this world and the next world And moksha is enlightenment, freedom And once you attain that you say I don't want any, any of them Because I am chidananda rupah shivoham So from desire to spiritual quest to freedom from desire does not desire so what is what should we do with desire if you are a sadhaka now it is high time mature channelize it towards God if you are a kid who is not interested in spiritual life as yet you must encourage that in fact your question answer is given by Krishna himself in this in this third chapter (inaudible) Joshayet Sarvakarmani, Vidwan Yukta Samacharan, encourage everybody, those who are not interested in spiritual life, don't keep telling them, come to Vedanta class, come to Gita class, no, no, encourage them, oh, you want to do science, math, literature, any higher pursuit, no. art, you want to set up an industry and earn millions of dollars, you want to get a Nobel Prize or something, uh, all worldly ambitions, but good, that leads to the development. So give them an upward push. Josha Head Sarvakarmani, you should say, yes, yes, it's good, must do it. Vidwan Yukta Samacharan, the Vidwan, the enlightened the uh, jnani being centered in Aham Brahmasmi consciousness, also doing work oneself. So this I will talk about it later. Krishna says even if you are a jnani, you still must work. Others are working out of desire, you are working as an example to them to help them. It is If if I did not work, Krishna says, then others would imitate me and then they would come to disaster because they would not attain spiritual realization. They are not yet fit for that and in the world they would sink lower. From rajas to they will become tamasic. Yeah, so, good. Who else has raised a question? Anybody else is there? Shashank?
1: Namaste, Swamiji. Uh, I have a question. Yes. uh, question. Uh, Is there such thing as moderation when it comes to worldly desires and is there such thing as moderation uh, with respect to you know your sadhana and if so, what is moderation in today's day and age?
0: Yes, moderation is always good, Um, but one must be careful. We are sadhakas, you are a sadhaka or sadhika and that means that is your goal in life. And the rest have to be bought in line with this goal in life. So my food, my relaxation, my entertainment, my daily activities, they are all which must be anukula, which must be supportive of my sadhana. Not pratikula, not against it. So to that extent, Krishna is very, uh, very compassionate. Later in the Gita, he says, Yukta hara viharascha. to be a yogi, you must have proper nutrition, you must have proper rest, you must have proper recreation yukta ahara viharascha yukta avabodha avabodha you must have proper rest sleep and waking not too much waking not too much sleep also so uh, this balanced life is very good for yoga he says yoga bhavati dukkha overdoing sadhana there are those who, who are like that we used to see in uh, among the monks you know when we were in training And there would be people, so you are supposed to get up at 3.40 in the morning, which is really early for most of us. But there would be people, some of our brothers, the other brahmacharis, a few, would get up at 2.30 in the morning. So, (laughs) like more than one hour before all of us. And by the time we are ready and going to the temple at 4 a.m., they have almost finished their meditation. So, (laughs) uh, that sometimes was difficult it had an effect on their health, both physical and mental, sometimes, one has to be careful. Uh, Bhagawan Buddha's famous middle path, too much austerity and too much relaxation, this is uh, in between the middle path that is good for the bhikkhu, that is he is talking about the monk. Of course, Bhagavan Buddha's middle path, if you look at the rules for Buddhist monks, that is a pretty austere path. <laughs> so that is one side. The other side, in the name of moderation. Not doing any sadhana at all no, it can lead to mental problems Swamiji has said it can lead to physical problems so little bit of meditation is good otherwise now it will, should be followed by nice partying and good <laughs> you know like TV program no no uh, that is escapism that will not work um, so the, all all the yogas have their danger so that's why I'm not practicing any of the yogas no, no that will not work. There was a funny story where we had one Swami, Gunatitananda Maharaj. It's a very great Swami, but he seemed to be crazy, you know, like. One day, um, he, he went for a walk outside Belurmat, and he was hit by one of those autos. He was not seriously injured. When he was brought back into Belurmut, people asked him, Swami, what happened to you? He said, I was following the middle path. Buddha has said, middle path on Grand Trunk Road, you should not follow, because you will get run over by, by uh, auto. Um, anyway. So moderation is is required moderation basically understand your own mind and body and remember it is a long lifelong process prayer, meditation, study um, karma yoga all of that, devotion all of that have to be practiced throughout our lives so accordingly one should do thank you yes should I quickly summarize let me go to the oh time is almost up so let me go to the third chapter what did we see in the third chapter at the beginning of the third chapter Arjuna expressed a question that he asked a question to krishna that jayasi cet karmana sthe mata buddhir tatkim karmani Verse number 1, chapter 3, so if you think um, the way of knowledge, Jnana Yoga is superior to Karma Yoga, way of knowledge is superior to the way of action, why are you asking me to fight this battle? So remember in the end of the second chapter, he has talked about pragya, the one who is enlightened, who has realized am Ramhasmi. So Arjuna thinks that, that's the goal then, good, I I'm, am I'm alright with that, so I should do that, why are you asking me to fight this battle? Then Krishna explains that, um, he says that there are these two paths and these two paths are not options. Jnana Yoga and Karma Yoga are not optional, that you, I can either do this or that, why are you telling me to do Karma Yoga when Jnana Yoga seems to be superior? No. Jnana Yoga which takes, your, takes you to the realization that you are Brahman. Shravana, manana, nididhyasana of Upanishads, Gita, uh, and the other Advaitic texts, it will show you that your real, your real nature is Brahman, and that leads to freedom, moksha. But that requires preparation. So remember, I'm talking in the paradigm of Advaita Vedanta here. So that requires preparation, and that preparation requires karma yoga, not only karma yoga, also upasana, meditation, karma, bhakti, upasana, all are required in the Advaitic path. There are in the Advaitic path path karma yoga is required bhakti yoga is required raja yoga is required all as preparation for for jnana yoga it is like suppose i want to fly to la to to uh, uh, hollywood suppose and uh, uh, then so nandita is smiling (laughs) but i am not going right now (laughs) Um, so how do i go you say, Swami, take a cab to Laguardia and then take a flight to LAX. I say, no, 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 tell me one, cab or flight. So, how, can, how is that possible? You must take both. The cab will take you to the airport and the plane will take you to your destination, which is LAX. Similarly, the cab of Karma Yoga will get, get you ready and then you can board the flight of Jnana Yoga, which will take you to uh, Moksha. So these are stages. I have talked about the the structure of sadhana earlier. What is the structure of sadhana very briefly? By jnana yoga, we realize that I am brahman. Just what Krishna said, he ended on the third chapter also. He ended with jnana yoga basically. That uh, how you realize I am brahman, superior to the senses is the mind, superior to the you follow, you have to follow yourself. It is not just something for memorizing or understanding or drawing a diagram, I have understood it. No, notice it in yourself, here are the senses, contemplate the senses, then turn inwards, here is the mind, contemplate the mind, stay there, then turn inwards, the one which is thinking all these things, that is the buddhi, then turn inwards, Uh, if you can do that then you will be enlightened, but here is the consciousness, not here, I am that consciousness illumining all of this, stay there, that is Nidhidhyasana. Swami, you are saying all this, I have heard many, many times. So, years and years I am hearing this, I have got so many notebooks and uh, recordings and all of this is there, but still I have not realized anything. What is the problem? The mind is unable to grasp, the mind is unable to absorb. All the information and teachings are there, mind is unable to absorb. So, the mind has to be concentrated, Ekagrata, focus of the mind. You see how it is connected to the reins of the uh, being uh, held by the uh, charioteer. So ekagrata, focus of the mind focus of the mind is achieved by Raja Yoga concentration or in Vedic terms Upasana, worship, focus and we try to do that, I have taken Mantra Diksha I am repeating the mantra, falling asleep, our mind is getting scattered here and there, focus is not there on the mantra, why? Because there is impurity in the mind, again back to what Krishna said, Kama desire, raga dvesha, impurities, conditionings are in the mind. Why? Krishna says, Prakriti, from ancient times, from life after lifetime, we have conditioned the mind, thrown so much garbage in the mind, that Prakriti is there, the nature, Prachina Karma Samskara. The Samskaras, the, the conditionings from ancient karma, ancient karma means multiple lifetimes. That is what is generating this powerful Rāgadvesha, likes and dislikes. And then leading to kāma, desire. And that is frustrated, leading to anger. uh, uh, Kāma, krodha. That has to be overcome. At that level, karma yoga is very useful. Convert every activity. Sri Krishna says, 30th verse, He gives the best summary of karma yoga. Verse number 30. (laughs) Mai karmāni sanyasya dhyātma cetasa. First of all, you have to have a spiritual consciousness, a spiritual awareness. What is spiritual awareness? God realization is my goal. I am a spiritual practitioner, sadhaka or sadhika, I am a spiritual seeker. This must be there. This is the beginning of spiritual life. Make up your mind. and so, your identity, even if you don't tell anybody, who are you, you can say, I am a stockbroker, but in, inside, in your mind, you must say, I am a spiritual seeker. Externally, in your heart of heart, you must should not say, I am a stockbroker. That should not be your ultimate identity. Ultimate identity, I am a uh, spiritual seeker. Adhyatma chaitasa. Then what do you do? Mahi sarvani karmani sanyasya. Convert all, verse number 30. Convert all your activities, Uh, into worship of me, surrender all your activities to me, offer all your activities as worship to me. Then nirashir nirmamo bhutva without attachment, without attachment, without grasping that by these activities I will achieve worldly goals. That part of your life is over, worldly goals will be achieved no doubt, whatever activity Arjuna will fight the war, he will win the war, he will get the kingdom that is all there. Uh, Karma yogi has it nice both ways. All the activities you will continue to do and your salary and your awards and your promotion all will keep coming but that's not your goal anymore. Nirmamo, no more grasping. Uh, I have done this. This is mine. No, it is all the lords. Uh, The secret, I have said very beautifully, uh, uh, it has been taught, secret of karma yoga, we all understand puja and we understand prasad. So, Convert all your activities into puja and the result of those activities you take it as prasad. Let me repeat that. Our activity is all activity, worldly activity now is converted into puja. Puja means worship of God. Just as we do puja in the temple or in your worship room. Now after doing the puja the food is offered. Then the food has to be taken as prasad. When the food comes as prasad, the sacred offered food, there you do not have the worldly judgment that um, I like mango, so only mango I will take. I don't like the pear, so I will not, no, it is prasad. Whatever comes, you always say, give me a little bit of prasad, whatever comes, you will not say, oh, this pear, I don't want this, give me that mango. No, prasad buddhi means, my uh, attitude towards what is coming, is this, it's the lord's, it's been offered to the lord, it's the lord's prasad. So I take it in that sense. Similarly, as I act in the world, uh, as puja, karma yoga, the results will keep coming. You do any action, result will come. But now instead of saying, instead of using my Ragadvesha, I wanted these things, I did not want those things. This Raga Dvesha, instead of that, all of what is coming is prasada. The Lord has given this to me, I accept it. Good things happen, very good, it is because of the Lord. I have nothing to do with it. Bad things happen, my old karma is coming in this form, I have to bear with it, fine. That's no problem at all. It it is given by the Lord. I am happy with it. This sets you free. Then the mind is purified. With that mind when you do upasana, mind will be concentrated. And with that concentrated and purified mind, when you come to jnana yoga, it flashes. Aham brahmasmi. This is the structure of sadhana. This is what Sri Krishna has said. And he also says that um, before this, one interesting thing he says pramanam kurute lokas verse number 21 verse number 21 if you consider yourself to be a gani, also you know what the idea is that Swami you said about the structure of sadhana this is for the beginner I have already understood Vedanta so should I still do any work Krishna is saying if you consider yourself to be a gani, even then you should do work. Because first of all, for the sake of society, whatever a superior person does, everybody else imitates. So, great teaching for teachers, for parents, we are always worried about students or the children. The best way of molding the children and inspiring the children is by our own behavior. Yadhyadacharati sreshta, whomever you consider to be superior, whatever that person does or says, everybody else is uh, eager to follow that, naturally, automatically whom you consider to be a superior, you will try to imitate that. Children especially. So there is a saying in child psychology, children do not listen, they imitate. So they automatically imitate. So if you are immersed in a spiritual lifestyle, your your life, the books that you read, you don't have to give uh, long sermons to the children, you don't have to tell them again and again, do this or do that. It will be an inspiration let me just mention here, I was reading an interview with a second generation uh, Indian American, an uh, American who is of Indian heritage. So this young man, he is saying to you, many of you are parents who are India, from India, but you are settled here and your children are here and they are growing up here or have grown up. So this young man is saying to you, he says, don't worry if the children are not interested in, uh, religious, in religion or spirituality right now. Keep on He says, don't undervalue the importance of the seeds which have been sown. So, keep on giving them those inputs. Even if they don't seem, especially in teenage years, they might not seem at all interested in these things. doesn't matter. That awareness is there, that such things are there. There is a thing called meditation. That God exists. That, uh, uh, you know, spiritual realization is possible. That it's possible to convert my daily activities into worship of God, into spirituality these things which they see in you and the books are lying around in the house. Uh, so those are the seeds. Yadhyad acarati shresta. Whatever the superior ones in society do, others also follow that. So you have to be careful. Even if you think you are a jnani and you don't need karma yoga, bhakti yoga, raja yoga, uh, only Vedanta class. No, all those other things also you must do. I think we have covered the basic outline of the chapter. These are the main things which have been talked about in the chapter. That karma yoga is necessary as a foundation for spiritual progress. Jnana yoga gives enlightenment. Um, the jnani should also perform karma yoga. Why um, should also perform as an example to others. Loka, uh, Loka sangraha, he says. That is the uh, reason. And... Um, and the important section where Arjuna asks, why is it that we fail in spiritual life? What, what is the great obstacle? And he says, karma, desire. And then he says, how to overcome karma, the disciplines? And he has borrowed from Kathopanishad there. And finally, that path of inquiry, self-inquiry, which leads you to the realization of the Atman. Yeah. Let me see the chat. Most of the chat is happy birthday. Oh, Girish. Girish has a question. Um I, I had a
1: basic question on on the use of the term chitta in in chittarand the chitta refers to the absolute consciousness uh, it's a subject yes but in 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 the yoga uh, you know in chitta Ruti nirodha for example chitta refers to mind stuff mm. which which is a which is a, which is an object mm. in this case uh also chitta is flexibly applied to Memory in some cases, hmm. isn't it? So that's also an object. Yes. So it can be used both as a subject and an object. Why? Yes. why is that am I missing something? Or? Yes.
0: Um, so there are two words here chit and chitta. Chit and chitta. Um, there is a takara, an extra takara there in chitta. So the word chitta has uh, multiple meanings, as you have noticed. One meaning, chitta vritti nirodha the, cessation of the, the uh, cessation of the modifications of the mind stuff. There it means all kinds of, all the, all the functions of the mind. Um, the manas, the uh, ahankara the buddhi, the chitta, all of them are taken as chitta. Another specific meaning of chitta here is the memory itself. When you say mano, buddhi, chitta, ahankara naham, Shankaracharya sings, there chitta means memory. So, chitta has these two meanings, the whole mind itself is called chitta. Um, Swami Vivekananda says the lake of the mind, the the cessation of the ripples on the surface of the lake, that is meditation. So the whole lake is called chitta. Then memory is called chitta. Pure consciousness, atman, the witness consciousness is called chitta. But you have attended the Mandukya classes. Confusingly, there while refuting the Vijnanavada, not confusingly, this is deliberately done, while refuting the Vijnanavada Buddhist, Gaudapada uses chitta to mean consciousness and uh, cognition both, because the Buddhists, uh, the is actually confuse both, at least in, from our perspective. So, chitta is pure consciousness, the pure subject itself, and chit, uh, chit, uh, chit is pure consciousness, and chitta is an object. Having said that, I will take the whole thing back. Uh, the ultimate secret is this. What is the relationship between this subject and object? What are these two? Chitta and Chitta. If you think about that, it is, this is the key to enlightenment. There is a saying, um, Chittam Chiditi janiyat, Takaro Visayadhyasaha. Know the Chitta, the mind. To be chit, pure consciousness itself. The extra ta, chitta, chit plus ta, let me write it here. The extra ta is vishaya adhyasa, the superimposition of the objective name and form. Superimposition, nothing extra has been added. The appearance of names and forms and pure consciousness gives it a semblance, an appearance of an object. What object? A thought. So, all the thoughts that you have memory, desires, good thought, bad thought, all of that is nothing but the Atman itself, the pure consciousness itself. That mischievous little scamp is now appearing to you as your mind. How is it accomplishing this? How is the pure subject accomplishing this magic trick? It's a magic trick using the projections of name and form. And those name and names and forms are nothing other than the Atman also. That's the beauty of Maya. Using names and forms, it... It objectifies itself. So let me write this: Chit plus ta is equal to chitta. Everybody can see it now. That chit is pure uh, pure consciousness. Chitta is mind. But the, what's the relation between them? You just the imposition of names and forms. adhyasa Literally, it means superimposition of the object. Then it breaks out into cognitions. And then we experience the world itself. It's a very, very precise in- insight. It, uh, it uh, connects the objective world to the pure subject. If you do this, Sankhya and Yoga will disappear into Advaita. If you don't do that, you will have two things consciousness, object. That's Sankhya, that is Yoga. Patanjali Yoga aims at that separation of the consciousness from the object, subject from object, and that's it. Stop. That itself is freedom and that does give you freedom of a kind but as the Swami uh, there he keeps saying it is an incomplete system because he is talking from an Advaitic perspective. It still remains in duality. Good question. Thank you. By the way the Swami this morning used, uh, gave a nice triangle if you remember transcendence, tranquility and transparency. Transcendence, tranquility and transparency three vertices of a triangle. I was thinking this is the whole of the sadhana. Transcendence, beyond body and mind, I am the pure subject, witness consciousness. That is jnana, knowledge. Jnana yoga. Tranquility, peaceful, serene, calm mind. That's the object of Raja yoga. Upasana, the the second stage of sadhana. And transparency, here it means simplicity and, uh, you know, uh, Sri Ramakrishna says this. That uh, it is a sign of a pure mind, simplicity, childlike nature, that complete transparency. It is it's the complex, uh, complexity is a sign of impurity actually. Uh, so one thing I have seen in all sadhus is this transparent nature, inside outside same thing, there is nothing to hide at all. That transparency is due to purity of mind, karma yoga gives this, tranquility is due to ra- raja yoga, concentration of mind. And transcendence is due to Jnana Yoga. It gives you this ability to transcend the uh, objective nature. Yeah. So I thought about that. It's a very beautiful triangle. All that we are talking about here is in that triangle. Yeah. Thank you. Good. I should bring the class to an end. Uh, a couple of questions in chat. Yes. Bill to everybody. This is Bill Davis, I think. Um, You describe this process of control in terms of jnana. Can it also be described in terms of bhakti? Certainly, it can be described in terms of bhakti. Uh, I am giving, as I said, buyer beware. uh, I am giving this interpretation from the Advaita perspective of the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, From the bhakti perspective also, the same thing can be given. By deep devotion to God, the problem of karma is brought under control in fact more directly than in than in jnana if you have a deep devotion to your beloved deity to your krishna to your rama krishna to your divine mother durga whatever in whichever form devotion to ishwara to saguna brahman or an avatar of saguna brahman um, that automatically uh, that automatically helps you to overcome karma why because bhakti is the same karma that which is scattered thousandfold in the world, it is channelized and focused on God. Hmm. Yes, so d- by devotion one can. Uh, then questions. Uh, what text is a good question? Has these definitions of manas, buddhi and ego, sankalpa vika, etc. So, there is a book which is standard textbook for all uh, students into Vedanta, which is called Vedanta Sara. Different schools, different books are used. In some schools, I think, Vidya they use Tattva uh, Bodha, I think. And in our tradition, we use Vedanta Sara. It's a book of definitions. It's not as um, exciting as Drik uh, Vivek or Aparokshanu Bhuti and all. Vedanta Sara is a book of definitions. I taught that a number of times. I used to teach, teach it to monastic novices in, uh, in our main monastery in Belurmat. I taught it in Hollywood. And here I taught it, of course, to a private group in the Vivekananda Vidyapit. Uh, but it's really useful in the sense that every study after that you already have a solid basis. You know what these terms refer to. Vedanta Sara of Sadhananda Yogendra. Uh, the translation we used is a good one by Swami Nikhilananda. That is also easily available, Vedanta Sara of Sadananda Yogendra. Rick is asking, class is suspended, Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna class is suspended, um, the Gita class is suspended and the Sunday talks also will be, there is one more Sunday talk this Sunday, after that will be suspended till fall. So Tuesday class will not be there and usually Wednesday class is also not there, but uh, we will continue with the Wednesday class I will those who are in the Mandukya group we will send you the email uh, later uh, by this weekend with new links. So we will have intensive Mandukya like a Mandukya summer camp Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays I know it might be too intense for many people we have jobs and other responsibilities but everything is recorded and uh, put online. So uh, if you cannot attend that is also no problem. We will have three days a week until we finish it. It may take two or three weeks Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Um, about the 4th of July, uh, we are planning something, a short program. We will send you an email about it on Zoom, of course. We can't go to uh, Ridgely Manor this time. So, just a little program of sometime on the 4th of July. We will send you the details. Yeah. Praveer Babu, you have a question, we will end with Praveer Babu's question.
1: Thank you Pranam right, my, I, this question has been bugging me since I have listened to your talk on freedom. So uh, experience as yes, consciousness and object, where does this object come from? Now, I argue that it comes from my desire but then some objects do appear to me that I have not desired for example, I am looking through the, out the window and a car passes by. Mm. Now, where does
0: these objects come from? Yeah. Um, so, yes. Just now we, I gave you that equation. Chit plus ta is equal to chitta. Um, chit is pure consciousness. You are the chit. Now, you are asking where does the ta come from? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's a adhyasa, superimposition. Um, the answer is, it's an appearance. It does not really come. It's like asking... Uh, waves and foam and uh, surf where do they come from there is only water the answer is even th- when there are waves and foam and uh, and surf there is only water uh, water is only there so the desires ok so the objects are the same pure consciousness through the lens of maya they are appearing as objects But then you bring in one more factor why those particular objects are coming to me so those are due to my past karma some are because of my desires which I understand some I don't understand. They have come through a long process. It's not just my own thing. It's a network of karma which is being actualized by Ishwara. Um, Mandukya Karika, If you go to Gorapada, answer he'll give you is he, his answer will be they don't come. You should not ask this question. <laughs> you say why have those objects come? Why did that car come? He will say they did not come. Anything that comes and goes is in causation. In causation. <laughs> He will ask you where did that come, car come from, did it come from the car, did it come from a not car, did it come from a car, and not car, uh, did it come from an existing thing, non-existing thing or mixture of existence and non-existence and in all those six possibilities there is no uh, logical answer. So, it is irrational to say that the car came, but you say I see it, and what you are seeing is none other, nothing other than yourself, at no point has it been anything other than consciousness Brahman, this is the <laughs> uncompromising answer of of uh, Mandukya, of Kaurapada. Very good. So, let us stop here. Stay well everybody, Um, uh, summer we pray to the Lord to protect all of us, bless all of us. It is a strange time, but it is also a good time to practice Vedanta, hmm? to hold on to Jnana and Bhakti and our mantra. Uh, and to wish everybody well om shante shante shanti hari om tatsat
1: shri ram krishna rupanam astu